Are you an accredited investor looking for a new opportunity to generate passive income and build the retirement of your dreams? Then elevate your investment game with Viking Capital, where wealth meets wisdom. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just starting out, Viking Capital can help guide you towards financial freedom through passive real estate investing. With strong and transparent underwriting, Viking identifies low-risk opportunities with the goal of preserving investor capital and maximizing long-term growth potential. And their accessible and responsive investor relations team will help you understand how each investment will impact your unique financial goals. With $800 million in assets acquired, more than $230 million in equity raised, and more than 5,000 units under management, Viking Capital is your path to early retirement. To learn about Viking Capital's latest investment opportunity, which is available for you right now, visit go.vikingcapllc.com forward slash best. That's go.vikingcapllc.com forward slash best to get started today. Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHerCon is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, Promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Just get started. Go buy deals. If you haven't done a deal yet, go do a deal. If you've done some deals and you want to do something bigger, go figure out how to do it. Going to do deals is way better than talking. Welcome to the Best Ever Show, the world's longest running daily commercial real estate podcast. Our hosts interview commercial real estate experts every day to get you the best advice ever with none of the fluffy stuff. Hello, Best Ever listeners. Welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever Show. I'm Ash Patel, and I'm with today's guest, Daniel Weisfield. Daniel is joining us from Tel Aviv, Israel. He buys mobile home parks with the goal of getting rid of the trailer park stereotype and make nice, affordable housing for lower-income individuals. Daniel is a GP on 29 properties. Daniel, thank you for joining us, and how are you today? I am great. Thanks for the intro. I'm glad you're doing well. Daniel, before we get started, can you give the best-ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? Sure. So I'm a third-generation mobile home park investor. My family immigrated to the U.S. with nothing. My grandfather worked as a car mechanic fixing cars, saved money. He bought a mobile home park around 40 years ago. I grew up around that business, got inspired by the important social need that it fills to provide affordable housing and also the great recession-resistant returns in our asset class. I ended up starting my company five years ago. We're called Three Pillar Communities. We now operate 
around 50 mobile home parks in 11 states. We've got around 80 employees on our team and we serve around 10,000 residents. And you do this remotely from Tel Aviv, Israel. I've been in Tel Aviv for the past year, moved there for family reasons. And absolutely, we've built an amazing team and it all comes down to the team. We've got great operations folks, great acquisitions folks, great finance folks, great home sales folks. And I'm talking to them, texting with them, Zooming with them 30 times a day. Were you in the States for some period of time prior to that? Yeah, I'm American. Up until a year ago, I was based in the Bay Area. Got it. Okay. 50 mobile home parks, and you don't see a lot of third-generation mobile home park owners. You grew up in the business probably, right? Working? Basically, I'd go with my grandfather. He grew up on a chicken farm. He was a very hands-on guy. So he'd take me to his mobile home park to dig ditches, try and fix pipes, build fences, mow the lawn, repair the lawnmower, whatever needed to get done as a kid. So those are very formative memories of mine. Uh, he's 92 years old. He's still with me. And he really is kind of my business hero. That's great. And this was when mobile home parks weren't what they are today. They weren't sought after assets with ridiculously low cap rates. That's right. They were the ones but that my, but my grandfather, he was buying at 10 and 12 caps. And today yeah. those same assets are trading at four caps. So have you looked at other asset classes besides mobile home parks? Yes. I've invested in triplexes, apartment buildings, industrial. And you come back to what you know with mobile home parks. Well, I think every investment sits on a risk return spectrum. And I think mobile home parks provide some of the best risk adjusted returns that you can find in real estate. We have a very stable cash flow profile because our residents are homeowners. They own their home. They've got skin in the game. Our typical tenancy is close to 10 years in our portfolio. So I just love the fact that we're providing high quality, affordable housing that I feel really good about, and also that stability of income. Now, how do you change the face of mobile home parks, getting away from that trailer park mentality? So I say we are probably the most stigmatized type of real estate that exists in the United States. People say mobile home park, they say trailer park. What are the associations that come to mind? You can tell me what you think of when you hear those words. I don't ever call them mobile home parks for no other reason than this is what I refer to them as is trailer homes. And I know that's not what they are, but I always refer to them as trailer homes. You either think of really dumpy ones or for me, the senior ones that have old people living there, nice, calm, peaceful. You never looked at them as shiny new places where you'd want to live. That's right. I think that that's right. And there's a lot of stereotypes and misunderstanding about what our asset class actually is. And the way that we change those stereotypes is by showcasing what a new class A manufactured housing community looks like. I think a good example is the new community we're building in Bozeman, Montana. We bought 90 acres of farmland. We're building a new 250 unit neighborhood. And we're going to have dog parks and pickleball and walking trails. And we're bringing in beautiful new homes that look like a home you'd see in a subdivision, but roughly a third of the cost. And so we're providing housing that teachers can afford, nurses, firefighters, policemen, small business owners, first-time home buyers, and really creating a home ownership opportunity that doesn't exist in that market today. Now, Daniel, everybody in that space always says they're not building anymore. No municipality is approving new mobile home parks. What are you talking about? Are these modular homes or are they true mobile home parks? These are true HUD code manufactured homes. 
I don't call it a mobile home park. I call it a manufactured housing community or a land lease community. But the fact of the matter is, yes, we are building new mobile home parks, if that's what you want to call it. And there is a big misunderstanding that's often repeated that it's impossible to develop new manufactured housing communities. I think that's part of the storyline and kind of the mystique around the asset class. People like saying tons of demand, shrinking supply, it's impossible to build new ones. That's why these things are so valuable. So a lot of people yeah. have been repeating that for years, part of kind of the promotional storyline for the asset class. <laughs> and it's just not true. We and a few other entrepreneurs are working hard with municipalities to say, hey, we can help solve your affordable housing problem. We can provide really high quality housing with no government subsidy. And we can do it fast because these homes are built in a factory. So we're building new parks right now in Montana. We built one outside of Austin, Texas. We've got a project underway in Greenville, South Carolina, and a few other new developments in the pipeline. And is it workforce housing? Is it retirement community? Is it college kids? That's a great question. So it depends on the location, depends on the market. Typically, it's not going to be college kids. I'd say that generally the two demographics we're serving are either families in the workforce earning, let's say, 40000 to 90000 a year, total household income, and retirees. And depending on the location and other factors, we'll choose which group we're serving. A lot of multifamily people have gone into development because that's the next frontier to capture returns, right? Yeah. In terms of returns, build costs, what are you looking at? Let's call it price per door because that's how the mm-hmm. whole multifamily world deems everything. So what is your price per door when you look at the development cost as well, including the pickleball mm-hmm. courts, utilities, everything? So we think about price per lot, and then we separately think about the price of the house. And the reason we break those two things out is our basic business model is we own the land and the infrastructure long-term. Our tenant buys their home, so they become a homeowner, then they pay us recurring monthly lot rent. So again, just before I answer your question directly, just to make sure everyone understands the business model, we operate a manufactured home dealership where we bring homes into these new communities and we sell them to the end customer. So the home doesn't stay on our balance sheet. Got it. Does that make sense? And they finance it through a third party. That's exactly right. Or if it's the 55 and up community, oftentimes they'll be cash buyers. If it's more of a workforce community, they're typically financing. That's correct. What's the typical cost of one of these homes? We can get a really nice three-bedroom, two-bath home with granite countertops, stainless steel appliances, really nice features. If it's a single-wide home, which is, let's call it, around 800 square feet, our all-in installed cost might be between $80,000 and $100,000. And if it's a double-wide home, more like 1,400 square feet, you might be looking at anywhere from... 120,000 to 150,000. So you got that American dream for about a hundred grand. That's exactly right. And what's really cool about our product is that pricing holds true almost regardless of what geographic market you're in. So let's just take California as an example, which is a market that I know well. You can install that three bedroom, two bath home in Bakersfield, California for a hundred thousand dollars, or you can put that same home in the heart of Silicon Valley where a single family home would cost you a million dollars up and you're still, your cost will be the same, right? It'll be a hundred thousand dollars for a brand new home in really high cost markets. And that's part of what we're trying to provide in Bozeman, Montana, high cost market. And we can bring in cheaper homes from out of state. Daniel, what have you seen in terms of default rates? Very low. During COVID, 
our collection rate across the portfolio was 96%. It was started out at 98%, but the lowest it dipped to was 96%. The reason for that is simply because our residents are homeowners. The entire beauty of the business model, and that's also why we believe so much in the homeownership model. You'll see some of our competitors in the mobile home park industry have switched to more of a, what they call a park-owned home model, where the park owner will own the home and rent it out, kind of like a single-family rental model. And when you do that, you get a lot more tenant turnover and you get a lot more delinquency. In our case, we really like having tenants who are homeowners. They build wealth through owning that home. They've got skin in the game and they are highly incentivized to pay rent. In the last couple of years, this industry has gotten another black eye from larger institutions buying up these parks and raising rents and basically getting rents so high that the existing tenants can no longer afford it. And even though they own the home that they're in, they can't afford to move it, five, $6,000 to move it, and they end up forfeiting that home. And now this large company can re-tenant that with somebody else. Are you seeing that a lot in this industry as well? So this is something I have very strong opinions about. It's something I talk about frequently. I write about frequently. I've written op-eds on this topic. So number one, I do believe that park owners should be responsible about how they raise rents. Think about your tenant. Think about who you're serving. Think about what they can afford. We've bought lots of parks where our rents are $200, $300 below market. And we've made decisions. Are we bringing it up all at once? Are we bringing it up over a five or 10 year period? Are we bringing it up on turnover? So I encourage my competitors to be thoughtful about that. None of us want to put people on the street. But then secondly, to answer the second part of your question, there is a big misunderstanding about the basic business model and what happens if someone can no longer afford to live in a manufactured housing community. If somebody can no longer afford the rent, what happens typically is they put their home up for sale. Someone who can afford the rent will come and buy it. The seller cashes out. They sell their home. They might get $20,000, $30,000, $100,000 or more, depending on where that location is. And the home remains in place and a new person moves in. So a lot of these news stories kind of repeat the story that people are priced out. They can't move their home and the home is abandoned. And we have never seen that in any of our communities. We'll get back to the show. But first, some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. Everyone is looking for a recession-resilient investment. How can you try to prevent from losing money by picking the wrong fund and sponsor? Right now, you can get Reliant Real Estate Management's free guide, 10 Things to Consider in a Real Estate Investment Fund, by visiting besteverreliant.com. Answer questions like, is the organization's focus on you? And does the fund keep employees? Reliant Real Estate Management is ranked one of the top 20 largest self-storage operators in the country with $1 billion in self-storage assets. After completing three funds and selling 38 properties with $0 of investor principal loss, they have an average project level IRR of 33% in just over 3.5 years. Visit besteverreliant.com right now to receive the 10 things to consider in a real estate investment fund and get access to their latest investment opportunities. That's besteverreliant.com, B-E-S-T-E-V-E-R-R-E-L-I-A-N-T.com. You've got a lot of PR work to do to fix this industry. That's right. Is there a collective voice and organization trying to do that? There's the National Manufactured Housing Institute, which I'm a member of, and there are state associations in every state. But you are absolutely right. We've still got a long way to go. I see a lot of investment opportunities, and I see these pro formas 
like you said, rents are two, $300 below. And these operators, young people remotely buying and managing these properties are going in just raising rents. And I don't know that they really understand the impact of what they're doing. They see it as a numbers game. That's a challenge. It is a challenge. It's a challenge for our industry. And I'll tell you something. Like I said, I believe we need to be responsible and think about our residents. At the same time, we operate in a market economy. And in any other product type that you're thinking of, people charge fair market rents. On the one hand, yes, we need to be respectful of our tenants, think about what they can afford. On the other hand, typically when operators are bringing rents to market, there's no shortage of people willing to pay that rent. They're operating in a market environment and what they're charging is market. So there's a real philosophical and economic debates about the point you just raised. Yeah, what a challenge. Tell me about some of these class A properties you're building. Tell me about the amenities. How long does it take to build one? I'm assuming all public water and sewer. Usually public water and sewer, but not always. I'd say a great example is our Emerald Coast Estates property, which is on the Oregon coast in Brookings, Oregon. In that community, we have ocean views. It's a 55 and up community. It's gated. We have an indoor pool. We have walking trails. We have a koi pond. It looks like a beautiful subdivision that you or I or anyone else would be thrilled to live in. And manufactured homes in that community, when it was first built, were selling for around $120,000 or $130,000 new. Now, over time, have those homes appreciated or depreciated? They've appreciated a lot. They sell for over $300,000. Wow. Manufactured home with no land underneath. So this is the value of what we can create. A great community that people are proud to call home and where they own a manufactured home, which is an appreciating asset. Can you give our best ever listeners the website where they can go look at that community? If you go to threepillarcommunities.com, which is my website, threepillarcommunities.com, you'll see drone video footage playing across the homepage. And that's all from our Emerald Coast Estates community. And it's the number three spelled out. Spelled out, correct. Got it. Okay. So you've got a business model that rewards your residents very healthily. Are you reaping the same benefits or lot rents going up significantly? Yes, our rents do go up when we are providing high quality community. And the way we set rents kind of depends on the community. For example, in that Emerald Coast Estates community that I mentioned, our residents all have five-year leases. So they have visibility into what their rent will be for five years. And then we do a market reset after five years. And in our new community that we're building in Bozeman, we're doing the same thing, offering a five-year lease term where rents will rise with the CPI formula. That's um, So people do have visibility to what their rents will be. And how do you get your hands on oceanfront property and get the zoning allowed for manufactured homes? I don't want to claim all the credit on the Emerald Coast Estates property. That is not one that we developed ourselves from scratch. That's one that we bought and added value to and have been improving. So I didn't do the entitlements there. But I'll give the example of Greenville, South Carolina. Great market. BMW has its only North America factory in Greenville. It's Boeing builds airplanes there. GE builds gas turbines. Major manufacturing center. Huge need for housing. And we recently bought about 40 acres there, which we entitled for 200 manufactured housing units. And it's all about community relationships. It's about going to the town, meeting with the city council members one by one, explaining the value of what we're building, showing them pictures, right? Saying, this isn't an old trailer park. These aren't sardine cans. This isn't what you've seen in the media tornadoes ripping the tops off them. This is a high quality home built to really high standards, showing them our amenities package and just getting them on board that this will be a community asset. 
And when we do that education, we've gotten a really good response. That's got to be a hell of a process because right now, every city council person wants high-end mixed-use, retail on the bottom, high-end condos, apartments above there. And if you go in there pitching manufactured housing, man, that cannot go over well initially. Well, it depends very much on the location. Okay, We're not pitching manufactured housing in infill urban locations where people are looking for high-density mixed-use development. And so I don't, it's I don't more, think... more rural? Not necessarily rural, but suburban or on the periphery commutable to jobs. Those are typically the types of markets we're targeting. Where the alternative land use might be single family. And what we're providing is a slightly higher density than single family and much more affordability. Daniel, we started talking about public sewer and water. I know a lot of these mobile home park owners that, sorry, manufactured housing owners, <laughs> they'll walk away from deals that have septic. Will you build a new facility that doesn't have public sewer? Yes. How does that work? What are your options? So let me provide a little context there. Because we own more than 50 parks in 11 states, we own a lot of assets that have private well systems. And on the sewer side, we own assets that have septic systems, as well as full-on wastewater treatment plants. We have to operate with licensed operators. So we've gained experience and comfort operating private utility systems on the existing parks that we've bought. And that's given us confidence to do new development involving private utilities. So I think it's, we prefer to go on city utilities, less maintenance, less headache. And at the end of the day, I think the product will trade at a better cap rate because more buyers like it. But we're not scared to build a, a private wastewater treatment plant if we need to. Modern package plants are great technology, minimal maintenance. You bring in a licensed operator. And I think one thing people don't understand is at the end of the day, all the utilities are kind of private utilities. Even a city system, when you flush your toilet, it's going to a plant, which is operated by your city. They've got an operator. They're maintaining a system. And you can do the same thing. That is fascinating. How many units do you need to justify the cost of managing your own wastewater? I'd say for new development, probably 100 units or more. And then can that be a catalyst for additional development in the surrounding areas where they could tie in as well? That's a great question. The answer is yes. Man, we have so, not done that yeah. yet, but we've explored the possibility of creating essentially a sewer district. Fascinating. You're the first person I've ever heard do that. And was that by solving a problem? Is that how you started doing that? Yeah, by necessity, right? Necessity is the mother of invention. And there are a lot of locations that have intense housing demand and are great for developing a new community like this. They just don't have a municipal sewer hookup. So then you think about what are the options and you bring in an engineer and you you your ground percolation studies and you figure out what you can do. Fascinating. Do you still buy existing parks? Absolutely. Well, again, they're not building anymore. So how do you find deals on them? <laughs> right? Because look, there's you a know, limited supply. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I had a pipeline meeting with my team yesterday looking through our active deals in the hopper. We've probably got four acquisitions in contract right now, another 10 under LOI, another 15 or 20 that we're working on. We actively are sourcing deals all over the country all the time. Some of that is direct relationships with owners. Some of that is working with you know, bird dogs and scouts who are out there calling owners. Some of that is working with brokers, but we've got a very active pipeline. Is there a minimum deal size that you shoot for? Yes. And I learned that the hard way. Out of yeah. your smiling, you can probably relate. The first park I bought was $100,000. 
It was 20 units, so 5K a door, distressed asset. And it's been a lot of work. And at the end of the day, it's been really rewarding to help the residents and turn it around, but not that many dollars of profit relative to how much energy we put in. I bet, yeah. So at this point, we're trying to sell some of those smaller assets that we bought early on. And our floor for a new acquisition is generally around $3 million. We'll go smaller if it's a great location, if the deal really makes sense. And Daniel, a lot of manufactured home investors, operators have moved into RV parks. Have you made yeah. that transition as well? We have. We own and operate probably four RV parks right now. One of the members of my team used to run RV parks at Equity Lifestyles, which is a big publicly traded REIT. So we had some of that expertise in-house, which has made that transition easier. We like it. We will do more RV parks, but it's a very different risk and return profile than manufactured housing communities. And it's funny, they kind of get lumped into the same category sometimes. It's a really different product at the end of the day. Is it because of the amenities or the transient nature of your guests? Both. I will say for, for folks who don't know, RV parks kind of split into a few different flavors. There are kind of destination RV parks, which are very much kind of hospitality destinations, you know, resort style RV, RV parks, and there are transient RV parks. And then there are long-term stay, which essentially function like workforce housing. And so our long-term stay RV parks actually operate pretty similar to a manufactured housing community, but we also own a resort style park in Southern California where we're operating pool and mini golf and golf cart rentals and a restaurant. And it's, there's a lot of operational complexity. So you get compensated huh? for that, but there's also hospitality style risk, right? If people don't have discretionary income to go on vacation, our income there will drop. So it's different than housing. And you're also running a business. Absolutely. Which The thing is though, in a conventional manufactured housing community, you're also running a business. People have this misconception that it's passive income, but even if all of your tenants own their own homes, you have a duty as a landlord to actively maintain that community, mow the lawn, maintain common areas, enforce rules. So it's always a business. Daniel, what is your best real estate investing advice ever? Just get started. Go buy deals. If you haven't done a deal yet, go do a deal. If you've done some deals and you want to do something bigger, go figure out how to do it. Going to do deals is way better than talking and thinking. Yeah. Daniel, are you ready for the best ever lightning round? As ready as I'll ever be, Ash. <laughs> All right, let's do it. Daniel, what's the best ever book you recently read? I actually am reading Exodus right now, which is about fictionalized history of Israel, and it's pretty interesting. Daniel, what's the best ever way you like to give back? Oh, man. I am really involved in youth development through summer camps, something I really believe in. I'm on the board of a summer camp and I donate to a foundation for summer camps. It's something I'm really passionate about. Awesome. And Daniel, how can the best ever listeners reach out to you? ThreePillarCommunities.com. Check it out. Incredible. I've got to thank you for your time today. By the way, what time is it in Tel Aviv? 10, 16 p.m. Okay. But this is my work day, man. I work U.S. hours. This is okay, great. good, good, good. It's 3 p.m. Eastern time here. Again, thank you so much for your time. I've interviewed and I've invested with and I've talked to you a ton of people in this space and I've never gotten the insights like I've gotten today from you. So thank you so much for sharing a lot of that with our audience today. Thanks for having me on. Really appreciate uh, it. Yeah, our pleasure. Best ever listeners. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a five-star review. Share this episode with someone you think can benefit from it. Also follow, subscribe and have a best ever day.